black and yellow, black and yellow. What's up, WizKids? You just heard some black and yellow. Now get ready as we dive into the black and yellow of an old story. We're going to go through the black of this deep, dark depression. And then we're going to obsess over the yellow of the wallpaper. Come along with us for this wild ride. But first, let's understand the story itself. The Yellow Wallpaper, published by Charlotte Perkins Gilman in 1892 America, tells the story of a mentally unstable woman who moves into a home with a doctor and her husband as she goes on a journey obsessing over a yellow wallpaper and her descent into madness. We will first analyze the historical context around her actual psychoanalytics and then describe her feminist approach and the reaction from society to the short story. Sometimes you just need to lock people in their room. It's for their own good. The Yellow Wallpaper was written in 1892 and discusses the treatment of women with depression. Because her baby was recently born, this means her depression could be postpartum or temporary. In the story, it is diagnosed as temporary nervous depression, and her treatment is taking phosphates, tonics, going on journeys, getting fresh air, exercising, and of course, being ordered to rest. Now, the doctor in the story is the husband of the woman, Jane. Throughout the story, he is very careful and loving, as described in paragraph 29. They came to this house solely for her. A house of this size, as it is three stories and in the country, is surely not cheap even as a rental, and this demonstrates this doctor is willing to sacrifice large sums of money for this wife who cannot even manage to take care of her own baby. However, today we're going to discuss how these prescribed medicines, how they compare to the best practices of the time. As an article from the American Therapist of 1903 by L. Harrison Mettler, Professor of Physiology of the Nervous System at the University of Illinois makes clear, with proper selection of cases, no drug is more useful to a neurologist than phosphorus. It is both a powerful and a subtle remedy. Among its available preparations, we find the phosphates and phosphites, and then glycerol and glycerin phosphates of iron. Now, this is exactly what Jane is listed as taking in the story as phosphates. Now, if she just says phosphates and tonics, obviously she's not a doctor, so she is not available to know the specific preparations, but it is clear that these do align with the recommended practices of the time. Now, because she's not quite certain about what she's taking, she clearly needs somebody to help take care of her because she does not know what's best for her. This is further evidence as when she is left to her own devices, she goes steadily more insane. She hyperfixates on one thing, the wallpaper, to distract her. When left alone in her room, she starts projecting her subconscious behind the walls and eventually tears off all the wallpaper on these walls. So it's clear that even though the doctor was doing his best to take care of her, sometimes not all of these choices led to the optimal solutions. And although John, the doctor's name, his methods may seem strange or constricting to readers in the present day, once again, they closely align with the best practices of the time. Now, one thing we must note is that even though one of the most popular drugs of the time was opium or laudanum, he never, ever uses that on his wife. According to addiction group, historically, laudanum addiction was a common but unknown disease in the 19th century. Laudanum is used for everything from soothing headaches to treating depression. No matter what, John did not want to merely dope up his wife and leave her rot in an attic. This shows his deep devotion to his wife and his commitment to improving her health. 
Even if there are a few missteps along the way, as we would probably not recommend leaving somebody with depression alone in their own room all day, the steps that he did take showed that with the knowledge available at the time, he was doing his best to help his wife get better. According to PubMed, in the 19th century, opium was recommended and held its ground well into the middle of the century. Various methods and drugs recommended and used for the therapy of depression in the 19th century, such as baths and massage, ferrous iodide, and arsenic. Actual antidepressants of the sort that we have today have been known for only approximately 30 years. The classic papers concerning therapy with lithium salts date back to the years 1948 and 1949. The actual antidepressants we would expect to be prescribed today are fairly modern. They put the modern in modern medicine. All of these remedies, which may seem strange or fairly outdated, these are simply the best that they had at the time. I'm sure physicians in 200 years are going to look back on what we prescribe for depression and laugh. However, with this historical context, we are able to see that no matter what, the doctor is only focused on helping his wife get better. While focused on helping the woman Jane in the story, that doesn't mean that the control of the patriarchal positions of authority held were always beneficial for her. Charlotte Perkins Gilman published a short story in 1892 America, A Proud Suffragette. As the National Park Service in 2019 shows, while the suffragette movement begins in 1849, it further explains that it wasn't really until 1890, around the publication of this story, that when the National American Women's Suffrage Association was actually born. On the ends of the creation of this monumental association, we can see that the rise of the suffragette movement, specifically among women and artists, was beginning to rise. Charlotte Perkins Gilman was intent on wanting to professionalize domestic work. We can see this specifically through her domesticity of her main character in the short story. We begin to see this relationship between the woman and the man, Jane and the doctors, of this oppressed female versus this decision-making male presence in the eyes of Perkins Gilman. We see that Jane is acknowledged as crazy, and she believes this herself. In paragraph 254, she says, I know well enough that a step like it is improper and might be misconstrued. She is so caught up with her appearance that she needs and relies on this assistance from men. However, we only get the female perspective in this. We only see the perspective of women during this time who actually believed they needed the assistance of men. On top of this, she believed her opinions on herself and others were completely invalid. She desired the best options from her life, but deemed them early impossible. In paragraph two, she says, but that would be asking too much of fate when talking of her happiness. In paragraph 42, she further controls herself by saying, I'm glad my case is not serious, when corroborating with it of that of a male presence. She even sees herself as conniving against male authority by explaining how she's not allowed to write and can't go against a man's word. In paragraph 10, when talking about not being believed, she asks, what is one to do? Personally, I disagree with her ideas, she declares, but continues to go along with them. This is when we begin to see the actual roots of the male authority figures. As Anna said previously, historically, the men were doing the best they can. Uh, the Jane even states herself in paragraph 29 that he is very careful and loving and hardly lets me stir without special direction. The character herself doesn't seem controlled, but it continues to beg the question of what the man was doing and whether or not it was actually good for the woman. She continues to get worse and worse throughout the story, obsessing over this wallpaper and eventually fainting. However, with this male presence that she deems super beneficial, we're actually going to see that this male presence was never completely beneficial for her presence. 
We see that we have this contradiction between the reality of the male presence and the supposed crazy she deems herself. We see the control that she desires from the male presence and this idea that she needs to be controlled herself. And at the most literal level in the story, we see a sober presence of the man and the drugged presence of the woman. How much her role in her state is actually dependent on the male presence, positively or negatively, is actually dependent on which side you look at it from. Are you the man doing their best, or are you the woman who believes they must rely on this man in a non-feminist archetypal structure? So overall, we can see in the yellow wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman that the actual psychoanalytics of the woman and the feminist approach she had actually shows that authority figures aren't always the best option. But they were certainly trying their best. Whether or not the woman was actually crazy herself, the point remains. Struggling through hard times with authority figures must always be analyzed with the deepest care. Thank you for listening.